Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. Can't believe that I'm here. <laughs> I've tried to keep a low profile here at the seminary since I've been here because I always had the feeling that, what am I doing here? How could I have such a privilege to be able to sit at the foot of our Lord and learn of him and from him? And I always imagine that somebody's going to come to their senses and tell me, you know, what are you doing here? <laughs> and in that nightmare scenario that I imagine in my head, somehow I imagine it would be Dr. Freimeyer. <laughs> so imagine my surprise when he asked me to be one of the senior preachers for class of 2017. <laughs> Um, especially since I thought I disqualified myself in preaching class, or at least I was hoping I did. <laughs> but really, it is um, just an overwhelming privilege. I, I walk these halls stunned and overwhelmed by the beautiful experience that I've had here, the people of God that I have met here. I haven't only learned from my professors, but I have learned from my colleagues it has been such a momentous experience in my life. And besides kids and family, it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. So I thank you so much for the privilege of being here. And I thank you to my professors, Dr. Smith, Dr. Freimeyer, and Dr. Gober, who I finally got to have this semester. And I'm especially grateful for the presence of my family, my three children, Kezia, Tirza, and Jaden, and my husband, Anil, without whom none of this would have been possible because he supported me 100% after I left my business, left the, the money-making enterprise in order to follow this um, path full-time. And also, I didn't do a mass invitation of people at my church and my community who have supported me, but I have asked for three people who have been instrumental in praying for me and encouraging me and affirming me. I have my friend Audie, who will be graduating as well into the ministry on the same day, so she won't be at my graduation because she'll be graduating, but she has been a lifesaver and a prophetess in my life. And my mentor, Pastor Charity Hardy Clark, who has been light, I call her light, <laughs> because she has illuminated some of the darkest places and darkest times during this journey. And Pastor Herman Davis, a minister for 50 years in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, who was my pastor for seven years and still remains my pastor today, who, when I entered his church, I was a broken person, but through his preaching and ministry, God spoke life into me and led me on this path, made me confident that it could be done. <laughs> so I'm just grateful that he's able to make it here today. So I will pray. Lord, Father in heaven, thank you. This is your time. Use me in the name of Jesus. Amen. She didn't ask for anything. The man of God asked her what he can do for her, and she doesn't ask for anything. Now, isn't this everyone's childhood dream? <laughs> like a genie in the bottle that comes and gives you three wishes and you can ask for whatever you want. Here she is. She knows that this is a man of God. He's a holy man of God. 
He has a direct connection to the Most High God who can make possible the impossible. This woman of Shunem had the opportunity to ask for whatever she wants. And instead she says, I'm good. Maybe she did have everything, or at least maybe that's what it looked like. She was a woman of wealth, and she was well-respected in her community. She was that go-to person that everybody went to when they needed some help. She was known for her hospitality. Whenever there was a stranger that came into town, she would make sure that she took care of them and that they were fed. God was already using her to take care of his people, and she already had a relationship with him. But now he was about to bless her and bring her into a deeper relationship with him. In order for him to do that, he was going to have to stretch her faith. And this is how she came to meet Elisha. Now we heard in the scripture that Elisha was coming in and out of town and he was doing the work of God and you know, her with that hospitality eye made sure that she got in contact with him and said, you know, come, come and eat at my house. And so he came to eat and she says, whenever you come into town, you come over and I'm going to make sure that you're well fed. So he took her up on, his, on her offer and he would come every single time that he was in town. And as he would, she would get to know him. She would observe his habits. She would make sure that she looked at, you know, the foods that he liked and the foods that he didn't like. But all the while, she had an opportunity to be in conversation with him, to learn about his ministry and to learn more about God. And as she got to know him, the Holy Spirit told her, this is a holy man of God. Now, this is the only time in the Old Testament that a prophet is referred to as holy. He was, he had a special calling. He was set apart. He had a special connection with God. And so because of that, she not only wanted him to be a visitor in her house. No, she wanted him to become part of her life, part of her household, part of her family. So she suggested to her husband that they build a room for him in the upper part of their house on the roof. And in that room, she would put in all of the amenities necessary for him to be comfortable during his stay. And so when he came and he lied down on the bed and he was comfortable and he looked around, it was a nice room. And then he, he, he asked Gehazi to ask her, what can I do for this woman to repay her for her hospitality? And so when Gehazi asked her, she said, I'm good. I'm here with my own people. You know, got things under control. It's, it's, I'm good. But then Elisha insisted, and he asked Gehazi, surely there's something that we can do for her. Now, you see, Gehazi knew her secret. Now, it wasn't really a secret because how can you hide the fact that you don't have any children? Now, as a woman in that culture, in the Jewish culture at that time, her value came from her ability to procreate. And what they knew was that if you were able to have children, then that was a sign of blessing and a sign of obedience. But if you weren't able to have children, then it was a sign of disobedience and a sign of being cursed. Now, you can imagine that 
Even as good as things were now, she went through her season of barrenness, a time of shame when people would look at her and wonder, well, what did she do in her life for her to deserve such a punishment? What is it about her? So you can imagine as a young woman who got married, who wanted to start a family, how she had to go around with that shame. It was a time of rejection, a time of loneliness, a time of isolation, even a time of confusion for her. And I know a lot of you know what that feels like because we have all been through our seasons of barrenness. And that's one thing I know when you dedicate your life to serving the Lord, there can be a lot of seasons of barrenness. Times when you're lonely, times when you're isolated. There's a lot of trials and attacks from the enemy that comes. Maybe your season of barrenness is a time of depression. Maybe your season of barrenness is trying to keep your marriage together. Maybe your season of barrenness is physical illness, mental illness, a wayward child. Yes, we know what it is to have seasons of barrenness. But it was in her season of barrenness that she got on her knees and prayed. No, she got down on her face and prayed to God because she wanted to hear from her Lord about what was going on in her life. It was during her season of barrenness that she opened his word and studied the scripture in order to discover this God that she served. It was during this season of barrenness that she discovered who God was for herself, his character, his nature, his grace, his love, his mercy, his goodness. You see, it was necessary for her to go through this season of barrenness in order for him to reveal himself to her. It's just like what Job said in Job chapter 42, verse 5, Behold, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Yes, it was during that season of barrenness that God took the opportunity to form a deeper relationship with her as he has taken that opportunity to form a deeper relationship with us. It is during that time of barrenness that to us have been revealed his character and his nature. This allows him to foster a deeper relationship with him by giving us the opportunity to put our faith into practice. To accomplish this in the life of the Shunammite woman, God challenged her faith, refined her faith, and then he honored her faith, the faith that he was developing in her. So first he challenged it. Now, Elisha did prophesy that she would have a son in a year. Now, at this point, she had a measure of faith, but it was not enough to bring her into the kind of relationship that God was calling her into. You see, she had a call in her life that she didn't know about. Anybody familiar with that? (laughs) When you're called out of life and the world into seminary, into ministry, and you're sitting down in the classroom, you're like, what am I doing here? (laughs) Yeah, she had a call in her life that she didn't realize. And the kind of faith that she was going to need in order to carry out that call meant that her, not only that she was going to be brought into a deeper relationship, but her faith had to be stretched in order for her to accommodate the things that were about to happen in her life. 
But when he prophesied to her that she was going to have a son, it was a little too much for her to bear because she didn't have a, enough faith to wrap that around her head. So her reaction was, don't lie to me. <laughs> don't get my hopes up. Anybody know how, how that feels? I can tell you that as of this moment, a week and a half from graduation, I still don't believe it's going to happen. <laughs> I still don't. <laughs> she had suffered so much, she was not willing to stretch her faith outside of her comfort zone. Yeah. To believe in Elisha's prophecy was too risky. She would have to come out of her comfort zone and have hope for something for which she had already lost all hope. She could not bear the consequences of Elisha's prophecy not being fulfilled. That's why she pleaded with Elisha not to put her hopes up. The Apostle Paul said that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has ever conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Discovering these things takes a step of faith. Elisha's prophecy challenged her faith to take that next step. The next step is faith refined. Now, the definition of refined is having any unwanted elements removed by processing. Now, we noted that comfort zones prevent us from discovering the good things God has for us. And when they do, God himself walks us to a place where he challenges our faith. It's an eye-opener. So when her son is born, we read that he grows to be a fine young lad, and then he goes into the field, and he's working with his dad, and one day his head starts to hurt. And so he's sent home from the field to his mother, and his mother takes him and holds her son. And I imagine her rocking her son, not understanding what's going on, barely taking a breath as she rocked the son that God gave to her until he died at noon. She didn't miss a beat. She got up, and I don't know how many flights of stairs were to the roof where that room was, and I don't know how big her son was, but there had to be a supernatural strength in her arms to be able to carry that boy up those flights of stairs and go into that room that she had prepared for the man of God and lay him on the bed and then turn her back and leave him there. Now, when she went and she asked her husband, give me a donkey and a servant for me to go and see the man of God. And he's like, what are you going to see the man of God for? It's not the Sabbath. It's not the new moon. And then what she says, she says, that's okay. It's, it is well. I'm good. <laughs> and so when she rushes to the base of Mount Horeb and Elisha sees her afar off, he sends his servant Gehazi to go and meet her to find out what's going on. So even when Gehazi gets to her and he asks her, okay, is everybody okay? Is everybody all right? And she tells him, it's, it's all right, everything's good, everything's good. You see, she knew who to talk to. The Holy Spirit gave her that discernment of who she should tell what she's doing to. She 
knew that not everybody was on the same journey of faith as she is. Because she is practicing what I call a crazy kind of faith. And I know you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It is that faith that makes you believe in the impossible. It is that faith that makes you leave your lucrative job to come to seminary. It is that faith that makes you leave after years in a career to give up that career and your retirement to come and follow the call of God. It is that that crazy faith that causes my pastor charity with three small kids and a newborn to put on a women's conference this past weekend in the name of God. That's crazy. That's the kind of crazy that if you tell somebody about what you're doing, they're probably going to discourage you. And so God tells you who to talk to. And it's not everybody that you can talk to. If I had shared what I was doing in coming to seminary with everybody, then I probably wouldn't be here. Because it is a commitment that you make, not because your faith is strong, but because you trust God to help your unbelief when you answer his call. And so she was ready to not tell what was going on. I mean, it was crazy because, you know, in Jewish culture, they're supposed to bury their dead within 24 hours. And like we read in the scripture, it was a day away. So even that, her husband would have stopped her from doing had he known what she was up to. And then even with Gehazi, we learn a little bit more down in in the book of Kings that he was a little shady himself. So even the Holy Spirit gave her discernment not to let him know because you know what? He probably would have stopped her as he did when she reached the foot of Elisha. So when she did reach the foot of Elisha, she fell down at his feet and she grabbed his legs as a sign that she was submitting to his holy authority. This is a similar situation to something that I went through um, in September. Actually, while leaving Dr. Freimeyer's class, I got a call that my sister had passed out in the hospital. She had been in the hospital up until that point for treatment for MS. And when I got the call, they told me she passed out, and so I rushed from this very building to the hospital. And when I got there, I was told that she had been dead for 15 minutes and that they revived her. But as soon as I got there, the doctors started to tell me that, you know, you have to consider turning off the machines because she's not going to be coming back. She was out for too long. She's probably brain dead. And I was her healthcare surrogate, so that was a lot for me to take in at the time. So I went um, to see her, and she was strapped to life support and all these machines, and we got all the family to come to the hospital And that night, it was a hard night. She has three kids. She has three teenagers. And so they came to the hospital, and, you know, we saw that the situation was a grave one. And I was like the Shunammite woman in the beginning. I I was wailing, and I was crying because it really looked bad, and everybody was telling me how bad it was. So I brought the kids home that night, but overnight, my niece, who is a nurse, and she's very clinical and very smart, she called us and said, come, it's time to say goodbye. So again, I 
went and I got my sister's kids and we went to the hospital in order for us to say goodbye. And so when I get there, my niece is, is telling us that, um, that it really looks bad, that her blood pressure is really low and her organs are gonna start shutting down. So we really have to be realistic about this. You know, you can't let your emotions get in the way and you have to go ahead and you have to turn off the machines, yada, 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 yada. And me as a healthcare surrogate had that responsibility to make the decision. So when I went into my sister's room and I was talking to God the whole entire time, I said, Lord, you know what you want to happen in this situation. And what the voice of the Lord told me as I stood at the foot of her bed is don't pray for healing, pray for a miracle. And that's exactly what I did. I had the anointing oil and I anointed my sister's body and my whole mind and demeanor changed because it was like I was praying for victory even though victory was not yet evident. But I started to pray for miracle, because healing, we look at it as something that we can explain. But a miracle has no explanation. And I have more confidence in a miracle because I know who I serve. And I know who's the author of all miracles. So I was confident in praying for that miracle. And would you know, within a week, she came out of her, uh, off the life support. And she woke up. And that was in September, and now we're May. And though she still suffers from the symptoms of having multiple sclerosis, but she has no sign and no effect for having been dead 15 minutes. Pray for a miracle. Our faith needs to grow because discovering all the good things that God has for us is not always easy. Certain things come to pass quickly and easily, while others don't. At such times, instead of waiting upon the Lord for answers, it's more convenient to give in to feelings of insecurity, feel happy about what the Lord has already done, and forget about the far greater things yet to come. In such occasions, God takes the freedom to reflect our faith. When we are obedient to this process, he honors this faith. And he honors this Shunammite woman's faith. 2 Kings 4.31-36 tells the rest of the story. Elisha sends Gehazi out with the staff, but it doesn't work. And she already said that she was not going to leave unless he came with her. So he went to that room, went inside and told her, wait out there. And then he got on top of that boy's body, eye to eye, face to face. And he invoked the power of God in that room. And then the boy's body started to warm up. And then he got up and he walked around and then he got back on that boy's body. And the next thing that you hear, seven sneezes and the boy's eyes open. Where there was death, there is now life. Elisha took that boy, opened the door and presented him to his mother. She bowed to him and took her son. This is exactly the way 
we have to respond to God when our faith is being challenged and refined. When we do, he honors our faith. We must fully submit ourselves to God's authority and allow him to refine our faith and let it grow. When we do, God is faithful to honor and reward us. If God is trying to stretch your faith, let him. It's painful. You have to come out of your comfort zone. You have to trust him. But in the end, God will honor your faith and you will gain a deeper relationship with him. You will be equipped to answer the call that he has on your life. You will be equipped to handle the trials that come your way. Let him challenge, refine, and honor your faith. Lay your trials, your difficulties, and your impossible situations on the bed. Lay your bad marriage on the bed. Lay your physical illness on the bed. Lay your wayward child on the bed. Lay your seminary experience on the bed. Lay your inability to pay for seminary on the bed. Lay your trials, your burdens, your weight, everything that you think is impossible, lay it on the bed. When you do, you will see that the impossible becomes possible in the name of Jesus. Praise be to God. Amen.